um, that is related to Yo, the, Yep, hey, easier. Oh, hey, hi. Hello. Yeah, hey, thanks everyone. Wow, everyone's already uh, on here well before I am. So uh, thanks for turning out. I have, I've noticed uh, you use some new music in the beginning of your videos. I'm very impressed at the diversity of some of it. I'm not gonna lie, I haven't watched the video yet. I just saw it was posted. I, th I, th I thought you were asleep. You were in the other thing for like a solid three or four hours. I was like, damn. Either you really want to be alone or you like sleeping or something. Oh, wait, me? I forgot. Yeah. Oh, I must have forgot to Disconnect. log out last night. I think I... Damn. Cause I, I woke up one Five. minute ago. I left myself on uh, one of the voice chats. Like, I, I think I went to, like, I don't know if it was a staff voice chat or on, like, the Patreon voice chats or, or something like that. Um, but anyway, I was on one of the voice chats. And I just sort of stuck myself in there to, to, like, hang out. And I was talking to someone and then I forgot to unlog myself out. Um, and then obviously people would, like, jump into there and they'd be like, hey, what's going on? And and then I wouldn't talk back to them. And, and that would just go on throughout the day. And I was at work, but my, my partner was here at home and she was like, there's 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 someone in your office and they're talking and I and I don't know what it is and they keep on <laughs> they keep on talking to you and it's coming from your office and I, I was too scared. I'm like oh. <laughs> I remember this. Yeah, because we made memes about you being alone Aww. in the chat. <laughs> so they were pretty good memes. Oh, it was that day. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that, that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aww. Let me see if I can try and find those memes. Oh, oh my good, lord. Good. Good I I, it's better, better, better than the time that I left my stream on for like 24 hours. Oh yes, so. here it is. I got it. Yeah, uh, post that in VC. Well, look. While while VC. we're getting there you go. <laughs> while we're getting those memes, um, wow. <laughs> 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 oh lord. <laughs> uh, the banter, the banter is just uh, very top notch. To be honest, like me, Jesus, don't don't fall like a, a little bit out of line. Otherwise, you will be. Rip, ripped apart. That's great. Reprimanded. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna make a few. Oh, okay. Well, look. I mean, while everyone on the uh, stream is enjoying those, uh, <laughs> um, why don't we start off with? Does anyone have any questions or any thoughts? Anything that they uh, uh, liked, disliked, had queries about during the video? Yeah, do you think the Greek economy is ever going to recover from this shithole? Um, I think it will. I think ultimately, like, um, I think it has sort of probably one of the more important things that it's kind of learnt from its mistakes. Um, and and look, uh, at the end of the day, I mean, they've still got uh, sort of a lot of things going for them. You know, tourism is probably never going to stop there. Um, they also have, you know, still a, a reputation as kind of a developed economy. Um, whether that sort of ultimately is true or not at the end of all of this, it, it kind of goes a long way. Um, and, you know, still for a certain sense, they are a member of the European Union and, and you know, a lot of the other nations aren't going to let them fall too far behind. Uh, so I think it'll be a slow, painful process. But yeah, already you're sort of starting to see them gently kind of turn around i mean you know they had a growth year um last year and you know it's carrying on from 2017 um i'm optimistic but yeah certainly it's going to be a painful process and i think the big thing is yes, um, very. i don't remember what it was but there was um 
it was some kind of documentary that was done and i think it was like a really tacky kind of like semi-tourist documentary but semi-talking about you know the greek financial crisis and, and something like that and they were interviewing this guy who was like a, a a tiler or a plumber or something like that um and and he was talking about like how how rough business and all that kind of stuff is Oops, sorry going um anyway they were yeah. talking about how how rough that was all on them uh, and then they had like uh, the guy. It was like this, you know, this old Greek man, very stereotypical, probably like puffing on a cigar. And he walked out the front of his house, and a beautiful house. And he was like, "Oh yes, it's very sad. I have to give away my seventh car, and you know, it's like I just got, <laughs> I just bought this BMW, and now I have to trade it down for a smaller BMW. And like, what the fuck? Like, what? This, for starters, I mean, obviously, like not to not to say anything about you know people in trades or anything, but this guy was a tiler." um like i don't know maybe he had a successful business or whatever but um certainly like i mean when he's talking about his business going going through rough patches he should not be having seven cars for his like the the three people in his family it's like um well, they had that... well, you only need oh, yeah. one car as long as that works i think that was kind of obviously you know uh very very like isolated but in broad strokes and all that but i think that was a really great metaphor for the for the greek economy as a whole it's like oh we've got this little bit of prosperity no worries like we've made it um you know rack up the debt who cares that'll eventually come back uh to us all and uh and you know ultimately that well that wasn't true and it kind of found themselves in that really rough place when when it all sort of came crashing down that's true yeah Oh. And VC chat but is no one else have a question. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. What? No one else has a question for him? Well, I'm no, I just that was a good comment. Um, saying you missed a great opportunity to talk about yields and and bonds and referring to uh current Greek debt. Just bringing up that oh, chart. Yeah. I think I posted it at the beginning. Um, please explain. Would I mean? E, would you like to explain that? Yeah, yeah. Hang on. Let me just see if I can pull it up. I'm just going to repost. I'm going to repost it. It's fine. Yeah, that's all right. Ah, this is great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You missed this opportunity. Teach us ye. So now it's a good time. So let's, uh, let's, I was, I was waiting to the end of the video and I was like, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. And then you just talked about it, but you didn't show it. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So this is, this is what I, this is what we're all kind of looking at. Um, and uh, I've just got it up on the stream for everyone, but anyone else on the Discord server can kind of look at it themselves. So this is the Greek 10-year uh, bond yield price. Now, um, what you can see is normally government bonds are relatively low yield, so they're, they're seen as super sort of safe investments. They are, um, you know, something that... Oh, yeah, we can't, we can't see it on the stream. Yeah. Oh, it, it's, it's gone over. It, it's, it's a little bit delayed, the stream. Uh, I think it's like 30 There it is. Delayed. Now we can see it. Yeah. Yep. Um, so anyway, um, you know, for what it's worth, you can sort of see uh, normally if we look at sort of the baseline, you're kind of seeing, you know, before the 2008 financial crisis, you're probably going to get around 5%. Now, 5% at that time was pretty low. You know, interest rates around the world um, were probably yielding, you know, you'd probably be paying at this time about, you know, 9% on your, you know, your home loan. Um, you know, interest rates were just a fair bit higher. Um, but still government bonds are seen as very very safe you know we can see that uh you know uh, if governments ever run into trouble they can just raise taxation and, and for that reason you know they're sort of seen as very safe investments but uh from that obviously the trade-off is that you don't actually get a lot of money out of them so five percent at the time was was pretty pretty bad return on investment um but 
we can see sort of as it kind of came to, you know, post-2008, you know, there was a little bit of rumbling. Uh, and then the Greek sort of crisis when they were like, oh, shit, you know, uh, we've actually got to pay back all this debt. And, you know, suddenly, well, everything's going wrong for us. It spikes up to 35%. Now, that wasn't necessarily because, um, you know, suddenly the, the Greek government sort of turned around and needed to raise that sort of rate. But it was because people that wanted to sell their bonds uh, because they suddenly saw that, oh, hang on, at the end of this 10-year bond cycle, I may or may not actually get my money back from, um, I may or may not actually get my money back from the Greek government. Well, I'm going to sell this this bond off. And, you know, look, let's say it yields $1,000. So let's say, the, the, sorry, the, the mark price of the bond is $1,000. Well, what? I'm going to be like, shit, you know, I thought this was a super safe investment. At the end of it, I'd, you know, get my, you know, $1,500 and, and I'd be sort of safe. But I don't know if that's actually going to pay off. So what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to sell it in the open market for, let's say, 900 bucks. You know what? I'll take the loss. Now, someone actually buying that because they're actually buying it at a lower price and, you know, the, 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 the contract price, so the finished price of the bond uh, is still, let's say, $1,500. Because they're buying it at a lower price, effectively, it makes the interest that they receive on it a lot higher and what this is doing is effectively bonds are a weird thing and when you see a big spike in the yield of a bond it basically is like uh bonds saying that their value has plummeted so if you basically it's bad it's bad it's very bad if you flip this uh if you flip this uh market upside down it's borrowing a better way of thinking of it so this is like oh you know it's kind of going all right it's going all right and then shoot and then it's, you know, it's going all right, it's going all right again. Um, bonds are kind of confusing for that, that thing. But if you just think of it like, you know, good is down and bad is up, generally speaking, um, that's sort of what you're looking at. Now, of course, it's kind of recovered. And, you know, and today they're sort of around the 1% mark, which for government bonds is uh, still on the higher side. You know, a lot of national bonds, you know, especially when you talk about, you know, American bonds, they're yielding less than a percent. And, and, and some government bonds are, are negative yield bonds. Um, but, uh, you know, it's certainly a lot more secure and it's it a lot more stable than it was at uh, the peak of 2012. Uh, and that's the reason why, because uh, people had to sort of sell them off. Now, bonds are extremely boring and extremely confusing, and I hate them, but uh, it's a really good I love indication. them. <laughs> it's a really good indication of, um, you know, what uh, what's happening with the wider economy, because I guess, you know, they are very sort of strongly correlated to um, the, the, the overall market. Yeah, if anyone wants to talk about bonds once EE is gone, I will be happy to talk to you guys about bonds. Oh, doesn't that sound enticing, guys? No. Yeah. <laughs> I might actually oh, just, up on that. I'm just going to avoid that. Just a quick thing on bonds, just, just adding on top of it. So bonds, I've heard, could be used to predict recessions. And then I've heard other, other people say no. Like, what's your hot take? Uh, so you're probably talking about the negative yield curve, like where uh, yes. long-term long bonds, you just sort of yield more or less than, than short-term bonds. Uh, and that's basically a prediction of how secure people see the, the future. Now, if they see that, you know, long-term bonds generally yield more than short-term bonds. The reason is, if you're locking your money away for a longer period of time, you want to see higher returns on it. So when you look at things like, uh, you know, let's say, uh, what are they called? Do you put your money away for a set amount of time and you get some interest on it? Um, it's like a high interest savings account. Term, term deposit. Term deposits, yeah. So you go down to your local bank, they probably have term deposits. If you lock it away for one year, you might get 3%. If you lock it away for five years, you might get a 3.5%. If you lock it away for 10 years, you might get you know, 5%. 
Uh, and the reason is obviously it's more secure for the bank to have that money sort of guaranteed to them for a longer period of time. And uh, and, there, and there's a sort of a lot of stuff to be said, you know, in that sort of 10 years, there's no guarantee that you not, might not want to buy a house or something like that. So they generally reward you for locking that money away for a longer period of time. Now, when we're talking about a negative yield curve, what we mean is that, um, you know, let's say 10 year bonds actually sort of return less. So instead of returning 3%, they actually return, let's say 2%, which is lower than one year bonds. Uh, which means that people are kind of predicting that interest rates will fall. Now, the reason that interest rates fall is normally because the economy is doing shit. Uh, if an economy goes badly, uh, central banks will lower uh, the cash rate, and by effect, you know, that sort of passes along to interest rates. And what it means is that, look, if that's actually sort of a prediction of that actually happening, people that kind of can lock away their money for 10 years, and sure, 2% might not be a great rate now, but in a year's time, we might be getting negative returns on our money. That 2% rate looks fantastic. And if you can guarantee it for 10 years, you are laughing. And what that means is that they see it as kind of like this speculation, like forecast of, well, people kind of think that interest rates are gonna fall. The reason that interest rates fall is because the economy is doing badly. By extension, people think the economy is doing badly, and if there's anything to be taken away from market speculation, it's that speculation is kind of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. If enough people believe something, it becomes true, even if the underlying fundamentals of that decision-making process weren't true. Um, so yeah, like, I mean, probably completely irrelevant to, let's say, uh, Greek bonds uh, in this case, uh, but still certainly an interesting topic. And, you know, um, one of those things, I mean, people look at all kinds of crazy shit to determine, um, you know, what a stock is going to do. They look at, you know, Bollinger Bands and, you know, they look into a crystal ball and, you know, you know, general sort of, like, sort of uh, speculation based on sort of, um, I don't even know what kind of um, sort of trading they call it. Um, it has that kind of weird thing where they look at charts and they pretend that they kind of can predict the future. And they look at all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, I think the old golden rule is that no one can predict the future. If they could, they wouldn't tell you how to do it, and they'd be the richest person in the world. Um, oh, we had a really good question over on the uh, YouTube live stream. Um, so, Jim Bullia, um, overall is war uh, really bad for an economy because using the Soviet Union as an example, I think World War II was great for their economy. Uh, well, ugh. Uh, so there's there's probably a few things to unpack from that. Generally, no, wars are very, very bad for an economy, uh, especially if that war is taking place within the nation. So if we're looking at something like, let's say, World War II, think of, you know, Germany or, or Japan or something like that. Now, the reason they did all right after World War One, oh, sorry, after World War II, uh, was because, you know, uh, there was the Marshall Plan and the, and the Japanese Reconstruction Plan, and, you know, they put a lot of effort into making sure that the nations were prosperous after the war. Uh, and, you know, for a nation like, let's say, America, you know, obviously it came out of um, the Great Depression at that time, and um, it wasn't going so great. But the war didn't take place on its soil. So its factories weren't bombed. It didn't lose any sort of, you know, farmland. It wasn't invaded. Uh, it didn't have that kind of sort of uncertainty. Uh, so it was able to focus pretty much entirely on, um, you know, building stuff. And that's sort of a really great way to get an economy going. It's kind of like a very, probably a very inefficient form of government stimulus, uh, which wasn't a sort of a hugely, you know, well-regarded issue at that time. So it was kind of like they forced it into a government stimulus. So, so no, um, no, war is not good for an economy, um, especially if it's taking place on that soil. 
the only time that it can kind of give it a boost is through this sort of indirect type of government stimulus. So, you know, going into a war, you have to pay soldiers and factory workers and stuff like that to build tanks and planes and bombs and, you know, send people overseas, which, you know, obviously puts money into people's pockets, but there's a much more efficient way of doing that. And if, you know, the war actually does take place on your soil, uh, it's devastating. Literally, you know, it can be devastating for economies uh, unless they're sort of rebuilt afterwards. Um, so, yeah, no, no, wars are not good. You know, let's think of the song. What are they good for? Absolutely nothing. Um, one thing which is also very important in what, what most people say, especially with wars, if a war is uh, being fought on a particular uh, territory, it will be always devastating for both uh, economy and population. However, uh, often after a war, uh, the comeback and the prosperity of build, rebuilding is often seen as a very big uh, plus after a war. So essentially, you have first a part destruction and afterwards a part rebuilding, which often is coincide with, of course, the destruction of an economy and the uh, uh, rebirth of an economy. Does that coincide with meme wars as well? Mm. <laughs> well, meme wars are definitely something different. Uh, are they like, would they be worse or better for, you, for Vaughn, economy? For you, Vaughn, yes. <laughs> for everyone else, no. My just Lord. for you. I got the perfect emoji for for this. Yeah, I uh, one of my friends made it for the Greek economy specifically. Let me find it. Wow, my favorite Greek ruins. My goodness. Uh, um, so over on the YouTube live stream, someone asked, uh, "What countries do you think are going to be major talking points amongst economists in 2020?" A uh, really good question. Look, I think uh, if this. if they're not, oh my lord. Oh, <laughs> no. we have this. <sighs> oh, Discord oh. suggestions right here. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> as uh, as I was saying, um, if it's not already, I think uh, I think Mexico is probably going to be a really big one. Um, you know, I, obviously they sort of got, get a lot of um, flack for their uh, let's say uh, ulterior, uh, you know, ancillary economic markets, um, but. Uh, as a foundation, like their their economy is quite strong, and they're kind of like this unseen developing market economy. Uh, and I think, look, there there are obviously a lot of issues with it, and there's been a lot of instability with you know people and the direction of the nation with you know the renegotiation of the North American Free Trade Agreement, uh, and of course you know Donald Trump saying he's going to build a wall and and all of that kind of stuff. It's been probably a pretty volatile time for through no fault of their own. Um, but the the fundamentals of the economy are really quite strong. I think it's probably one to be watched, especially as sort of more and more people in the economy sort of uh, get access to credit and you can start doing things of their own. It'll be it'll be sort of one to one to watch, I think. But again, of course, it's pure speculation. You know, who knows what's going to happen in the next ten years? Maybe we'll we'll all die of coronavirus. Here. Yeah, who knows? Would so, that be so bad? Uh, I you often hear didn't that they that say that it would cost a trillion dollars in damage? in this year, the whole virus uh, thing. Hey, well, it could do. I mean, how long's China been closed for now? That, that's got to be racking up. Like, I mean, uh, we are reaching three, we are months. reaching over two months now. I was trying well, to start what... a body pillow business and I can't launch it because of due to um, shipping issues. You would start that. So you often hear about the U.S. national debt a lot whenever people talk about it. Uh, but I'm aware that the United States debt is 
very different to like say a household in debt uh what are the main differences between those and should people be scared about like a country being in large amounts of debt at first oh okay um, so, Sorry, so was I'm, there, I'm bad at wording questions. So was the distinction so. between uh, governments and households or businesses and households? Yeah, yeah. Like, what's the main difference between, like, a government's debt versus, like, a household's debt? Right, okay. So, look, um, a government, it, it ultimately sort of depends on the government. It depends on the type of economy, and it depends on sort of the size of the economy as well. So there's a few things to unpack. Now, a household in debt isn't necessarily a bad thing either. Uh, as long as it's not bad debt. And, and normally people sort of see something like a home loan or uh, loans for appreciating assets as, as good debt. Now, if you have some loans and you have, a, let's say, a few investment properties in a house that you live in, uh, normally people aren't going to have too much of a problem with you having that kind of debt. Um, but, uh, of course, you know, if you have, you know, $100,000 worth of credit card debt to buy, you know, I don't know, massage chairs and jet skis, that's bad debt. Now, governments tend to be a little bit more conservative with their debt, and they have some key advantages in, in a few sort of things. One, they're, they're, the yield that they pay on their debt is much, much lower than a household because they're seen as much more secure. Uh, and two, they tend to put it towards constructive things in an economy. So if a, com a, a, a government is taking on debt, normally it's to facilitate government spending without taxing their citizens. Now, the advantage of that is that it grows an economy. So if you increase government spending and reduce taxation, people have more money in their pockets. They can employ more government workers. They can develop more infrastructure. Hey, you know, potentially even pay for more wars or, or whatever it may be. And that all sort of introduces money back into the economy. Now, the more money that's circulating in the economy, the more prosperous the economy is. Hey, potentially the more taxes that they can levy later on. So it's kind of an investment into the future growth of an economy. Now, that being said, Governments can invest money into bad things as well. So we've seen things like, you know, governments borrow money to, to fuel, you know, you know uh, lavish sort of lifestyles for their leaders and governments spending money to spend on, you know, botched infrastructure or governments borrowing lots and lots of money to, to pay for, a you know, an unwieldy and, and a military that's far too large for the country. Those are all sort of the equivalent of that person getting a credit card to go and buy jet skis and massage chairs. Uh, but generally... Except... Sorry. Yeah, but generally governments are a little bit more um, conservative there. The other one is is business debt. Uh, and business debt is kind of seen as the best of all three of them because uh, businesses kind of only really go and borrow money when they can use that money to make more money. So having a large sort of business debt facility, uh, it's kind of seen as, unless you know your business is going really, really badly, uh, it's seen as quite good because normally businesses are, you know, they take on debt only when they have something really, really constructive to put it towards. Um, so that's sort of the three, three kind of general sort of pools of, of debt that we see. Uh, someone had a, something to say about government debt and then. Yeah, sorry. I was just, I was just thinking. Um... <clears throat> Yeah, it's interesting. Captain Locke, yeah, you, you seem to be really... Is there any, like, good leading questions that I should be asking here? Um, okay, well, I've noticed, you know, Anne uh, Shawl is asking some very, you know, good questions about from whom did the U.S. borrow loans from? I like the whole use of whom. Uh, and then after saying, well, U.S. debt is borrowed from American citizens, primarily. Uh, 
they ask uh, so us debt is just a collective debt of all us citizens now it's not that um it's so if if you have money uh and you're going to then deposit it with a bank or you're going to say invest it with uh or you have a, a money manager or, or whatever basically wherever your money goes it's gonna eventually the money managers will buy us debt the reason why they buy us debt is because us debt is, is stable it's strong it always has paid itself back it's never defaulted meaning that the the government has never um been like ah, we can't pay our debts back sorry not you're all everybody who borrowed or everybody who loaned us money we're not giving it back uh and that would that would cause a huge problem because one uh you know literally 75% of Americans would not get their money back from everyone or from the government that they've invested in. Um, and uh, second of all, like that would just cause a huge financial crisis. Uh, so it, it's key. Even if you're not a direct borrower of, of, or a direct uh, loan loaner of government debt, like you can, you can give your money to the government and they will give your money back plus interest. That's, that's, bonds but usually people don't outright do that it's usually they go through an institution that will purchase the debt on behalf of their clients um and then because they because the institution knows more about how to buy the debt and when to buy it and how much they should buy and all of this fancy there's a lot of uh of thought that goes into purchasing debt it's not just oh i'm going to buy debt from i'm going to buy u.s debt uh, and when I say buy U.S. debt, I mean that in the sense of you can purchase already existing debt on the market. So meaning that somebody sells it to you and you can then go to the government and say, I want my money back. Uh, it's, a little, it's a little more complicated than that. I'll come, that, come back to that here in a second. But there's also you can just outright loan your money to the government. When they issue new bonds, uh, such as there's, there's T-bills, which are short term, like under one year. And then there's T-bonds, which are just, uh, you know, your 10-year 30-year bonds um you give your money to the government for that entire period and then at the end of the period or during that period the government's going to pay you interest on that uh and then at the end uh you get all of your money back and hopefully you will have made a profit and most people actually do make profit because the united states has never defaulted um it's it's scary the idea of if if they were to default uh what was another thing i was going to Add uh, may I ask you another question then? Uh, isn't, I, I, isn't, let's, let's, okay, go ahead. All right, go ahead. No, go ahead. Just regarding the bonds, since you are talking about them, isn't considered investing into bonds like uh, not really profitable uh, to say as in no. investing into stocks? No, it's uh, it's very. It depends on the time period. So um, it's. Sometimes bonds can be more safer than than stocks because you're guaranteed. It's called fixed income. Yeah, I, I know, know about that. Get. Yeah, the stability is um, not the big bonds of government by government bonds. Yep. Like that money is guaranteed. I um, know that fact. Oh yeah, she's saying I have coupons. I mean, don't forget the coupons. I kind of talked about the interest. Like that's the coupon thing. Um, oh yeah. Oh, the one thing I said with uh, demanding your money back. So. Uh, it was there was a running joke about uh you know 10 years ago when china was a large buyer of american debt uh there was a joke that china is going to come and demand all of their money back and uh here's the thing that's not ever going to happen because 
institutions who buy debt understand that they can't demand their money back whenever they feel like it. They have to um, wait until the principal becomes due. And if they were to go and demand their money back beforehand, well, they're not going to get all of it back. Um, and further, like China doesn't want to go to the U.S. and demand their money back because China has made plans for when the cash will roll in in the future. So if they were to, if they, if like in say 2010, China were to go to the U.S. and just give us all our money back, America would be like, first of all, no. And second of all, China wouldn't do that because China was like, wait, we don't want to do that because we have plans that are required for whenever the money is actually going to be uh, returned to us. And if we were to go and demand it back further, we, well, now we have all this cash and we have no way to spend it, uh, which is if, which with governments, uh, like in the case of Greece, if you have lots of money and you don't know how to spend it, well, you're going to spend it on things that you don't need. Right, E.E.? That's right. Yep. Okay, but a quick one. Imagine that you're a country and a certain virus were to break out and you need a lot of money quickly in order to deal with it. That's called you have you have a cash reserve. So when we're talking about, um, in, in my hypothetical scenario, what we're imagining is a cash, uh, you, you have... Um, like your piggy bank, rather than it being a piggy bank, it's like the piggy bank is the size of your house. Imagine having that much emergency funds. Nobody needs that much emergency funds. So China does have emergency funds, uh, and they should have enough that they can support themselves during the coronavirus. Um, and so far, it seems that they have been doing that very well. Additionally, uh, if they need more emergency funds, they can borrow from other countries. So China can issue their own debts, their own bonds, Americans can say, I, I believe that China is strong enough that they will uh, recover from the coronavirus and pay all of our uh, and give me back all of our money plus whatever uh, ludicrous interest rates that they're going to uh, use to entice people to uh, loan their money. So um, wait, what's the benefit of like giving out debt to other countries as opposed to just cashing in debt that you have of like the U.S.? Um, no, no, no. It's so it's not it's not like uh, it's uh, it's a little more complicated than that. It's uh, oh, I don't I don't know how to address why, why, that. Why, why would you buy Why would you buy debt that's not from your country? Why would you? Buy ah, yes. If you want to buy debt from other countries, you do so because it's more enticing than say your local debt. Yeah. Like uh, you know, as a I'm I'm working to be you know a portfolio manager. One of the things that you we get trained on is diversification of of assets. I could theoretically buy only government debt for my bonds and just that only, but you know I'm not going to have a very nice interest yield, or I'm not going to have you know uh, interest rates or my my interest that I'll be earning on that is it's pretty it's pretty lackluster. Whereas if I can go to say Nigeria, well Nigeria is going to offer a larger uh, return on my investment. Sure, there's more risk, but if I if I do my number crunching, I look at Nigeria. I meet with the government officials, and I look uh, to see like what is their income for taxes, and how strong is the economy, and all of that. I'll eventually uh, conclude that oh, I should invest with Nigerian, and so I'll take a portion of my bond money and I will invest it, uh, or I'll buy uh, Nigerian debt when it's issued. Um, 
it, it's kind and, of it's kind of interesting yep. in the same way. Um, like I, I don't really work in portfolio management, but but um, sort of work at a, a company that that does uh, portfolio management. And it's interesting when you're looking at government bonds, you use much the same kind of statistical analysis that you would use to determine um, the value of a company when you're purchasing their stocks. Exactly. So exactly, you, it's, pre- it's pretty much one 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 for one. Thing. If you, if you're purchasing. Amazon shares, you might do a you know an analysis. Yeah, you know, who's the leader of Amazon at the moment? Oh, Jeff Bezos. He's, he's got a pretty good track record. Uh, you know what the industries that they're going into? What's their profit? What's their turnover? What's their revenue sources? You know what kind of debts do they have at the moment? And it's the same thing is true if you're investing in a country. Hey, who's the leader at the moment? Has he got a good track record? What are the issues of the company? Does the company uh, does the country have any debt? Uh, what's the revenue sources of the country? It's really sort of remarkably similar. Uh, but of course, instead of buying bonds, uh, sorry, instead of buying shares, you're buying bonds. It's it's really quite interesting, uh, and of course, you know, to answer the the question, you know, the reason that people would buy, you know, bonds from other countries is American bonds are extremely safe. Uh, their yields are also extremely low. You know, so it's it's you know, if you want something that's a little bit spicier, you're 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 barely beating inflation. Yeah, that's where I, if any, if at all. So, yeah. so it's the same way to put your money, but not the best growth strategy. Like if you're 10 years before retirement, I would recommend it, but not earlier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's something that's very, very safe. It's a glorified, basically a glorified savings account. Uh, but yeah. You know, it's a gro- Yes, it's a glorified piggy bank. Yeah, exactly. So great questions. Uh, and, and also I'm enjoying, I don't know how I, I've been not, not watching the, the, the chat and it's got onto all of these fantastic pictures of like... Where, where is that 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 one that suburb? Was that in the Netherlands? Yes. That is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. I want to live there. Like, whoa, my goodness gracious me, that's so cool. What, what is that? What is that? Is that Dark Souls? What is that? Uh, Roger, what is that? Just say Dark Souls. Yeah, it looks like Dark Souls map or something. Not that one. I'm talking about the one that's just oh, under the just under. No, the... that 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 that's a um, village in the Netherlands, Schiedhoorn. Is it really expensive? It looks like Dark Souls. Yeah, it looks like there's some dude with the rake. Look, you have the photo that G posted because that doesn't look very good to me. <laughs> no, it's the one that Rogers posted. Oh, okay. Yeah, that talking about that one. Uh, I don't think you get like a lot of good Ubers though. Like, I think it'd be pretty expensive in the search. Mm. No. Guys, I, need I, can, I can confirm they don't have Ubers there. Sad. I tried doing Uber in uh, Venice and there was none. <laughs> the guy shows up in a gondola. Yeah, there's no Uber in Japan. God, I have to try that. Uh, so, 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 so is it like super expensive to live there? I know it's completely off topic for, uh, you know, uh, Greece, but uh, yeah, like... How much would that one of those little houses cost? Well, actually, it looks like pretty big houses, to be honest. Oof, let me search for uh, it. Also, you forgot, the, uh, did you speak about how Greece basically cooked the books on their economy? Yeah, we don't talk about that. That's yeah. fake news, and it's That's, wrong. No, it's not fake news. It's just one thing that was like, oh my gosh, we could spend all day talking about that. Or we could yeah. just, you know, hand wave it away and say, look, those times are, are gone. Like, we learned our lesson, like. You can't prove a negative, so I'm going to take it as wrong. Okay. There's nothing wrong. Good day. Um, oh, I have uh, I have some investment um, advice. So we EE was you know basically saying talking about shares, and we can think of bonds as shares. So there's a nice little uh, adage: if 
uh, if you look at a company and you believe it's worthy of being purchased as shares, you might as well also buy its debt because uh, it if you can get the residual like amount from owning a share, then that means that the company is strong enough that it can pay off its debts. So you should also buy the bonds. Normally bonds from a company are slightly less risky and they, they yield slightly yeah. lower amounts. They do. Yeah. So it's a, it's, but if you were looking for like a one, two punch, a lucrative one, two punch, like they occasionally come up where a bond is like, ah, yes, this bond is good enough. Oh, the company also has uh, shares that are low, like uh, like low priced shares. Ooh, I'm going to buy them. They they it's not very often. Uh, I mean, that's how Warren Buffett made all of his money is by looking for these types of deals, um, and like literally just scouring the world for for these types of deals. Uh, recently, he did a purchase of Kroger, um, like a uh, like 500 million. So probably was thinking yep this is a good deal this is a good deal because warren buffett really doesn't you know uh, just go on yeah he uh, has just... slack on his investments yeah uh, just go on wall street bets <laughs> yeah or just um, go on wall street bets and, and lose yeah. all your money yeah that's it's not well it, it, it in a way it's gambling uh so no, he, hey know? those people who, who gambled on tesla made millions from it so you know, you know sometimes it works out you know what I'd really, really want to do is build a Wall Street bets index where it's weighted depending on the amount of upvotes that they get for their particular investment advice. So if something gets lots and lots of upvotes, oh, it takes up a large This is going to fold up. Fuck this. Oh my God. Yes. It, gets, it gets a high proportion of their portfolios weighting and it's just you buy up like whatever these, these people that get all these mad upvotes tell you to, to buy up and you just kind of track mm -hmm. the, general, the general market performance of Wall Street bets. You know what? I reckon it wouldn't do that badly. I reckon like there's gonna... enough there's enough idiots in there that it's kind of like the, the the mean would be like probably average market performance. Yep. Or it's just the the sheer stupidity. Uh, it's a a a broken clock is uh right once a day. Yeah. It's and, because and, and, those, and those and those those one idiots are like who get everything right, just completely offset all the losses and and actually like do much better because it's so i think wall street bets also like fulfills its own prophecy at times though they do i think it's part of it my god <laughs> the place is just uh but you see some crazy like generally like wasn't that that guy that was like uh betting on tesla and then there was the tesla peak and then the crash and the hit in like the day that he sold it he shorted it and he made like eight million dollars in like two days which is yeah it's literally like he he may as well been down at a, a local horse racing track just like you know, punching out yeah. tickets like it was yeah, he's, legitimately he's gambling. Not, but my he's not doing God. anything sophisticated at that point. It's that's legitimate gambling. Like that well, is well, something. Credit you know, yeah. gambling, yeah. and those capital gains tax. Oof. But yeah, doesn't matter. Did it, Reddit? Doesn't matter. Those capital capital taking debts are 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 insignificant at that point. I mean, well, they're they're pretty major, but you've made a lot of money. Also, if that person worked for my firm, I would fire them after that. I'd be like, yep, great. That's that's a lot of money. Thanks for all that. You're fired. Yeah. Lordy. Dude, that's Wait, you do not want to risk that. How did you make oh. that so fast, Meek? It's so, just uh, not Meek is a machine. Oh, 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 oh. remember that three news. Sorry. Uh, doing that. Remember oh, the way, um, EE found uh, some of the houses there. 
the they begin for around half a million euros. Oh wow! So it's expensive, but it's not like uh, it's not like Sydney expensive. <laughs> Yeah, but these are the smaller houses at the waterside, so they're not ginormous. Ooh. And, uh, of course, you come and take your car to it. On uh, the chat on the live stream, um, Taylor asked, the, do the economics of the city of the Kulon walled city? Oh, Kowloon walled city. Yeah, Kowloon, that's, actually, yeah. that's actually that probably is, a pretty interesting <laughs> one. That's uh, fascinating. I want you to do, please do that. Yeah, okay. Actually, I don't even have that on my Excel uh, sheet, but uh, thanks, Taylor. That's actually a really good recommendation because it is really cool. Um, no yeah, problem. You're going to you have to dig up a lot of research on that, though. Yeah, yeah. There's not much information out there. That's, that's right. I'll, I'll, just, I'll, just have to, I'll just have to take a trip there. What do you reckon the, the chances of me not getting stabbed are if I just go in there and start? It's not know, there anymore. Oh, it's not there anymore. Oh, is it not? Oh, my God. No, it's all demolished. It's now a park. Hey, yep. Wait, what, when, when, when about did that happen? Cause... Um, 2000. Yeah. Uh, 1997, I think they began just, uh, destruction of it. So, uh, or no, 96, they began uh, removing people from the area. Uh, and 97, uh, they started to um, uh, have, demolish it, I think. I have not been paying attention. Uh, economics explain. Oh, 1994, it's demolished. Oh, oh no! Yeah. Sorry, 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 someone had a question. Um, would you ever do the uh, economics explains of fascism? Because I heard it was praised a lot in the U.S. Uh well, look, I mean, fascism is probably more of a political ideology rather than than an economic discipline. Um, I will probably one day do the economics of Nazi Germany when I'm less scared of getting slapped by the YouTube algorithm. Uh, maybe I'll economics of stealing from Jews. E, yes. E, do you really do you really want to pull that uh, pin on that grenade? I wouldn't. Yeah, I feel like you could have done that earlier before you built uh, a larger gathering. Of... Uh, maybe we'll do it on the second channel, eh? The, the, Probably. Economics, economics like explain uh, risky uh, click. actually was praised yep. in the U.S. for its like economic responsibilities. Like Keynes loved it, for example. Yeah, what? I mean, it had, look, I mean, it had a lot of the uh, characteristics that, uh, you know, were kind of the the, the flavour of, of current economic sort of ideologies at the time, you know, obviously sort of with a strong emphasis on, on, on companies and, and, you know, private enterprise and that, but with, you know, still that kind of control, that, that guiding hand of the government, um, and, you know, there's probably a lot of parallels there between, you know, Keynesian economics and, and, and fascism, but... Yeah, they probably shouldn't be called one and the same thing because, of course, you know, there are some... You know, the difference is probably in the details there. Uh, can you give me an example of the differences? Well, I don't think Keynes really wanted to, you know, round up everyone and, uh, you know, that didn't agree with him politically and, well, yeah. you know, put it... <laughs> he he did like the arrangements, right? He did I mean, that's say it was... Literally right now, so it's uh, like, was easier to implement his ideas... In, so, in a fascist uh, economy? Uh, I think China actually represents fascism. Uh, this, this conversation is weird because we've gone from talking about bonds to talking fascism. about the, the, yeah, the, the economics of fascism. Which is Hello. Well, yeah. Lordy. Yeah. Yeah. And I would agree, by the way, uh, with EE, fascism itself is a political ideology, not an economic system. Exactly. Well, well, if you read the fascist manifesto, it's uh, one uh, fourth uh, economic. 
Yeah, they they rounded in more like social. Yeah, if you actually read the do you mean, do you mean like do you mean like the like harmful on Earth adopted its policy? Like, no. well, well, we consider every nation on Earth fascist right no, now. No, but that, that's like that's an ideology. Anyway, let's continue. Hello, I have a question about uh, regarding Greece and how not to manage oh, an account. Thank God. We oh, hey. Comments. Yes, what's your question, <laughs> please? You. I missed you, man. So, so regarding, obviously, they uh, uh, spent uncontrollably and on things that were not investments. W would you see this basically as... the? Because it's also regarding to previous comments about like America and NAFTA that was brought up earlier in the live stream. Uh, basically, do you, do you see these nations that, uh, like Greece, that are, uh, they don't have their house in order. Do you see them going to form stronger economic unions with other countries like the European Union or like uh, the East African Union? Um, so Greek like irresponsible greek spending didn't necessarily have any that much to do with its trade agreements and uh you know nafta like north american free trade agreement is you know in a sense similar to the european union but you know it doesn't hold a gun to anyone's head and say hey you got to go and spend all your government's money and borrow like crazy so i don't know if they're necessarily one and the same thing um but of course you know there are countries these days that, that you know don't have their house in order um and they will potentially be hit very hard by, you know, you know any kind of external economic shocks because of that. Uh, now, Greece... Uh, can you name any of those countries? Name and shame them. <laughs> I mean, probably modern-day Greece, if we're, if we're kind of being honest there. <laughs> um, oh, uh, no. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Sorry, explain, go ahead. Uh, do you think you'll ever cover, like, the, uh, like uh, go into more detail about Singapore and how, like, their housing... Uh, Housing economics work and maybe how their uh, healthcare policies work because they've probably the in most interesting healthcare in the entire world. If you're uh, rich in Singapore, you can literally go to a hospital anywhere in the country, pick your own doctor, get your own private room. If like middle class, they pay for like seventy five percent of it. You pay for twenty five percent of it. You get extra benefits. If you're poor, the government pays for all of it. And this actually actually lets them constantly improve their medical system. However, it also uh, lowers uh, taxes for everyone, so they have probably the best nuclear system in the world, in my opinion. But what do you think? Hmm. That's really oh. interesting. I mean, I kind okay. of avoid sort of microeconomic issues like that, especially when we're looking at it as like a nation, because uh, that's a lot of, you know, sort of policy as opposed to kind of economics, and it, and it sort of um, relates specifically to a single uh, industry. So um, but, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I don't have any kind of knowledge of it to talk with any authority at the moment. But, um, yeah, certainly something I could look into. And, I mean, if there's enough meat to put into there in, in like, an economic sense, um, sure. I mean, obviously, I'd consider making a video about it. So, uh, this is, I have a, the question I wanted to lead into more of, though, regarding my last one, is, like, basically, is there a formula whereby, like, to determine how much a country should like where it should allocate its investment and resources, the the government and the spending. Well, no. and how much it should spend in relation. I'm sorry. I mean, is there a sort of a magic formula that sort of dictates that a uh, a government should tax this much, spend <laughs> this much on these sort of particular things? No, because of course it's different for every single economy. Um, you know, there's a general kind of theory that when times are really good, 
you spend a little bit less, you know, you save a bit more, you tax your citizens a bit more, and if the idea is that you kind of build up a rainy day fund so that, you know, let's say something turns around and there's an economic crisis, you know, a debt crisis or whatever it may be, but you have a little bit of cash in reserve to, you know, um, do things like stimulate the economy. Let's say you go out and decide to build that new port or new road or new highway or new metro system, and, and doing that, you employ people and that kind of gets the economy moving again. So it's kind of like the suspension in your car, it's, you know, you know, it's not so great during the, the good times. You, know, you don't have this fantastic, you know, thing where you're just sort of spending like there's no tomorrow. But it also means if something slows down that you kind of have your rainy day fund. Now, as for the allocation of resources, of course, you know, it depends on the country. It depends on so many sort of factors. So, uh, you know, let's say infrastructure spending in the United States is probably a little bit higher than, say, infrastructure spending in the Philippines purely by virtue of the fact that the you know, United States has... Um, obviously a larger population, but also much, 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 much more landmass, you know, more more areas to sort of cover with um, things like highways and, and metro services and, and railways and, and electrical grids and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, more opportunity. Well, yeah, but also, you know, sort of like they're kind of, you know, $100 million in terms of infrastructure spent in the United States doesn't go as far as $100 million in infrastructure spending in, let's say, Manila. Um, just because you know, uh, it's a larger area and, and you know, there, there's a few sort of things and, and maybe we're sort of focusing too much on that. Uh, it also sort of depends. At the same time, a million dollars would go really long ways in, say, Nigeria. Right, and and that does, um, <laughs> you know, and that does uh, sort of have, have an impact on the economy as well, like, you know, uh, the purchasing power parity of, of an economy. So uh, it, it is very, very different. But the general theory is, um, you know, sort of very, very big picture uh, is it during good times. So let's say times like right now uh, for the world economy, you know, where, where things are going pretty well, um, you, you know, uh, you save up a bit more money, you tax your citizens a little bit more and, you know, people will moan and grumble about it now. But you know, of course, when it turns around and, and you're able to sort of pull your economy from the brink of destruction by, you know, these huge infrastructure spends or, or direct fiscal stimulus, uh, you know, they'll thank you for it then. Uh, good question. I wish there was a one-size-fits-all policy for uh, government fiscal spending because, my goodness, that'd be convenient. Got it. Uh, thank, thank you. Uh, uh, oh, what one? Sorry, one last quick thing. I apologize. Uh, regarding that future video about Germany, I recommend Time Ghost History uh, video uh, about about the economics about that. Uh, that's it. Oh, thank you. Uh, just a, a side note, uh, economics explained, how much do you think people should be contributing to, like, their government pension? Like, should the government force its citizens to, uh, to have, like, a savings account with them so they can retire? Or can the citizens uh, get, go behind this and they have complete control? Because I know it's, like, Chile right now is having a huge problem since their people uh, only contribute to the, to the government pension plan for 10 years out of their, like, 30, 40-year uh, work experience. So their entire pension system is in complete crisis right now, and where it's elderly is what's making. Sense. Was... Hmm. I wonder if it's actually uh, like the old people not having it. Is it are they like starving and stuff, or is it just the pension fund does not ha doesn't have any money? Uh, it's There's a difference, the right? Like my question is, do you so, think the government so... should force people to uh, contribute to the pension plan, like this uh, portion of earnings, or do you think that people should? Uh, have complete control over all of them. 
So well, Subi, it's interesting if... that you should ask an Australian this because we have something very similar to what you have discussed. So we have something called a superannuation scheme, which is kind of a pension fund, but kind of not. What it is, is that, um, so let's say I get paid $60,000 a year in Australia. Uh, what would actually happen is that my employer would give me $60,000 and you know, take away taxes and all that kind of stuff and also contribute $6,000. So it's just under 10% to a, uh, a fund. Now, that money is mine. So it goes into a superannuation account. Now, by default, uh, it's invested with superannuation institutions. So they're kind of like financial institutions that just look after superannuation money. Uh, and they invest it into the market and they generate returns. Now, no matter what, and no matter how much I bitch and whinge and moan, um, my employer is going to pay that 10% regardless. I can't receive it. Uh, I can't get it in lieu of it. It, it. That's what it gets paid out as. So uh, the good part of that is I can actually choose how that gets invested. Now, if I don't like a particular fund, I can yank it out of that fund and put my money into another fund that might be performing better. Or in some extreme cases, people actually manage that money themselves. So they have self-managed super funds. Now, it's really, really fantastic. And there are options to contribute more towards this. And there are tax advantages in doing that. Uh, but you have to do it. You have to make those contributions. There's no way around it if you're a regular employee. Now, you can't actually access that money until you're 60 or 65. I shouldn't actually know that. 60, 60, um, 65, I believe, with no um, tax uh, sort of implications at all. Uh, and then 60, I think, is when you can start sort of drawing from it. Uh, it's a really good sort of effective way of getting people to sort of save from retirement, but still making sure that they have that kind of level of control over their own savings. Because uh, normally people can't be trusted to, to save money, but they can sort of be trusted to actually look after it once they do have it there. So uh, I think it's a really, really good uh, combination of, of the two parts of it there. Uh, so on a side note, uh, I know the Spanish government actually has something called the 40-year loan, where their citizens, if they want like to buy a house or something, because housing prices in Spain right now are on skyrocketed to like, completely mind-boggling levels. The government is literally giving their citizens 40-year loans, which completely ridiculous uh, so that they can go and buy their these ridiculous houses and they potentially become like a slave to their house for their entire life Ooh, 40 well, year loans i mean 30 year loans yeah. are pretty common in australia and the united states and most western nations but 40 year loans that's pretty rough man uh and let's see remember but remember you i'm sorry go ahead yeah unless the interest rate was really really good because uh, you have to take into account things like retirement planning and stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, someone in their mid-20s, taking out a 40-year loan, by the time that's paid off, they're going to be mid-60s. That's That should be when they're retiring. And, and Spain, actually, sort of curiously enough, when someone asked me uh, what country probably doesn't have their house in order, yeah, that's another one I'd throw right there under the bus. Spain has got a pretty high level of both government and sort of private sector debt that, that may, not be, may not be great debt. And um, yeah, uh, my goodness. Uh, their, their real estate bubble is... is She's probably there, and if it's been fueled by things like forty-year loans, um, oof, uh, that that Ron, can have, please delete that. <laughs> that can have quite uh, quite the ramifications. But I don't know. What, I mean, would you guys actually sort of consider taking out a forty-year loan to own a house? I guess it gets you into That's it, a, I suppose. Uh, look, I just I just uh, turned nineteen, so maybe depends. I don't think I'd do it. Forty years is way too long. I mean, if like the if the housing prices still go up exponentially, uh, it looks like a decent. 
Yeah, I suppose so. And then, look, I mean, the other thing is that interest is so cheap these days that it's like, well, I mean, it kind of is silly not to. You know, if I'm getting something where it's a 2.5% interest rate per annum over 40 years, it's, you know, that's basically going to not really outpace inflation. And, um, you know, that sort of makes sense. And if I get an appreciating asset, you know, why not? And, you know, even if I can borrow against it later in, the, in, in, in my life, you know, I'll be able to invest it and, and probably outpace the market and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I feel like a lot of people aren't that sensible. Um, it's just one of those really rough ones. I I'm not sure how I feel about it, to be honest. Some people would be able to do it really, really well and take full advantage, and some people would uh, really screw it up, I think. I mean, it still seems like a better investment than the gender studies degree. Hey, I take issue with that. I have everything is. Very debatable. Yeah. <laughs> My Lord. What's, what's the issue with it? Oh, I'm just saying, like, a lot of people knock on gender studies without actually really knowing what it's about. I mean, I got my minor in gender studies, but it's also with economics and finance. And, I mean, I did, I took a very holistic approach. And again, it just opens up uh, avenues and also different ways of thinking. That's why I... You can I, tell you unironically enjoyed it. I did. <laughs> you only did it with class. Yeah, pretty I, much. I mean, I got a minor in it. If, if you're going to get a minor in it, you probably, you know... Means you enjoy like some. Some you people get minors in mathematics. Study? Others get minors in physics. Um, some get minors at the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do have a minor. In, I do have a minor in mathematics, though. So, alrighty then. Well, look. On that note, I am going to sleep. Thank you, most of you, for being well behaved, apart from whoever said that. Um, I'll see you guys all on Thursday for the next video. <laughs> My God, you guys are the worst. Yeah, man. See you, dude. Have fun.